Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is deputy editor, Kate Macri. Hi, Kate. Hi, Alex. You had the opportunity to chat with DISA Cybersecurity and Analytics Director, Dr. Brian Herman. How'd it go? You know, I thought it went really well. It was really cool to hear about the completion of the Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype pilot and what the next steps are and how this is impacting cybersecurity for the armed services and basically all of DOD in some pretty tangible ways. So it was a good interview. For those who don't know, and by those who don't know, I mean me, what exactly is the Thunderdome pilot? So the Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype pilot was awarded to Booz Allen Hamilton last year for $7 million. It was supposed to be a six-month pilot to kind of build out what Zero Trust would look like for DISA and in a way that could be extended out to the service branches and for the state, basically all of DOD. It's supposed to be like a pilot, like test case for basically all of DOD run by DISA. Last summer, they decided to extend the pilot for another six months because they wanted to make sure that they were building out zero trust solutions for the classified network, CipperNet, and then also the unclassified network, NipperNet. So they wanted to extend the pilot so as to like make sure that they were covering all their bases, so to speak. So they finished in February and yeah, there were some really interesting lessons learned. I think one of the most interesting aspects of this whole thing was they've really honed in on the importance of data management and managing applications that you use like on your work computer or your phone, whatever, because that's a really big part of Zero Trust. And that's kind of the next step really is to secure data and applications and make sure that the data management piece is in place before extending to like protection mechanisms, because, you know, you can't protect something if you don't know where it is, who has access to it or what it's used for. And it seems like this pilot was really able to help them identify those foundational pieces so that they can go about implementing stronger security controls in a way that's interoperable across the services. Because part of this is you have the Army, you have the Navy, you have the Air Force, and then you have all the fourth estate DOD components, you know, like DISA or like DARPA, you know, all of those other little DOD agencies. And they all need to be able to share data information with each other in a secure way in order to be a truly joint force, as they like to say. And this is, you know, part of the joint all domain command and control initiative, which is all about getting the right information into the hands of decision makers, which are sometimes warfighters, at the right time. And you can't do that if you can't do that securely. And Zero Trust is supposed to make that happen. And so Thunderdome, in a lot of ways, was really that first step of like, okay, what's the data situation? And what's, where do we go from here and like securing this and securing the type of information that we're trying to communicate with each other, if that makes sense. Right. 
So what you're telling me is that this has nothing to do with the classic film Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? No, but I did not even know that there was a Mad Max movie called that, which is, I guess, kind of embarrassing. I wonder if that's why they named it Thunderdome, because, you know, DoD loves their nerdy sci-fi names for things. I mean, just look at the software factories. Like, half of them are named after, like, Star Wars terms, planets, etc. Well, we will briefly leave Thunderdome and Mad Max behind for a second to talk about our guest, Dr. Brian Herman. Can you tell me a little bit about him and what he brought to the conversation? So Brian has been one of the leads on the Thunderdome pilot from the very beginning. So he has a pretty granular understanding of the ins and outs of the pilot well and well what maybe didn't go as well, what the next steps are. So he's someone who is, I guess you could say, like very, he's very in the weeds with Thunderdome and he has a really strong understanding of of what's going on there. But he also has a good understanding of DOD, IT and security needs in general because he served in the Air Force for several decades and then came to work at DISA in IT capacity. So, you know, he's he's had a long career in DOD. He's spent some time, you know, in one of the services, primarily in, in some tech roles. He's He has experience as a software engineer and, you know, someone who was responsible for developing efficient ways to evaluate software delivered on Air Force weapon systems. So... He understands the technology very well, which means that he also has a good perspective into how to secure it, especially in terms of like what the services are looking for. I mean, the military, like the armed services, but also, you know, the fourth estate perspective as well. So we kind of he's in this unique position where he has both perspectives. And, you know, that can be true of lots of people in DOD. I mean, often people who work in the fourth estate worked in the armed services first, but it's always great to see someone who like has had a long career in the weeds with all of this. And now he's helping to come up with a new way to secure it, basically. Well, it sounds like Dr. Brian Herman was the perfect person to talk about Thunderdome with. So with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Cybercast today, Dr. Herman. I want to get started with an overarching question on the Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype. So now that the Thunderdome Zero Trust prototype has been completed, what would you say were the most notable lessons learned? Hey, uh, thank you for having me here today, and, and, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Thunderdome has been a, a success. We went through the piloting activity, the prototype activity, and we we proved it out on three three sites on DISA's cyber terrain. So probably the biggest lessons that uh, that I think we we probably can take away from this is that is that first, it's not just important to cover down on the activities that we need to accomplish for zero trust, but we also need to map those capabilities against our cyber terrain. 
And what I mean there is in the case of DISA, we operate the backbone that connects a federation of networks for the Department of Defense. And we also offer uh, operate some, some user-facing uh, enclaves, uh, such as the one that I'm using right now here at DISA headquarters. Uh, and, and so capabilities that we put in place need to work in every part of the terrain that we're responsible for, or else we have gaps, not just in functionality, but gaps in coverage for the uh, for zero trust. And, and that's just not acceptable. So, so mapping capabilities to, to our terrain is extremely important. <clears throat> and ideally, the capabilities that we put in place can work on as many of those elements of our terrain as possible. So we'd rather not recreate the same functions with different tooling uh, just because we're in one uh, commercial cloud or, or another one, or perhaps even on-prem. Uh, so that's a, a huge first lesson that we've had to, had to take away is you know, the complexity of our terrain requires us to, uh, to map that as well as mapping the functionality. The second is that technical debt is real. And what I mean by that is that the firewalls that we've historically run in many cases haven't been kept up to date with, with uh, where they ought to be. And so we found ourselves engaging in a lot of, of work with organizations that own the enclaves to make sure that we could update those and put it in place. But as an ancillary lesson to that, uh, we found that the capabilities that we're putting in place with Thunderdome actually improve our cyber operations state significantly over what we've historically had, meaning that Joint Forces Headquarters, Doden, uh, and or Cyber Command can issue orders and we can actually make centrally make changes to our cybersecurity apparatus in this new model, where in the past we actually had to issue orders to the component cyber commands uh, and they would direct the actions of their team. So we were much faster, which is absolutely essential as we try to take on peer adversaries going forward. The, maybe the third lesson that I would take away is that, that what we're trying to accomplish on the end user's desktop is tightly coupled with the, sec the rest of the security stack that we have on our endpoints. So we are, we are making a move from some legacy cybersecurity tools to use things like Microsoft Defender for endpoint, uh, and, and we use Comply to Connect. And the connections of those, those capabilities are absolutely essential for us to be successful as we go forward. And then the last thing I would leave, leave you with there is that, uh, is that we, we have demonstrated that we can improve both the cybersecurity and the user experience at the same time. And we did that through, uh, through smarter routing for users, both on uh, their, their networks at work, physically at work, as well as for those teleworking employees, uh, you, historically using uh, virtual private networking, but instead uh, using the, uh, the service access edge capabilities that we put in, in place for Thunderdome. Gotcha. So you mentioned that you're using a user interface that came out of Thunderdome right now. Can I follow up and ask how that works? Yeah. Um, uh, so, so that's actually one of those things that the, the user can see as mm -hmm. part of, uh, of a zero trust implementation. We call it secure access service edge or SASE. Uh, and it's a direct replacement for what we've historically done with the remote access VPNs. Those were critically important as we as we uh, got into the, the initial stages of the pandemic with many workers working uh, in other locations. But but they're not they're they're good capabilities, but they're not zero trust in the sense that they don't take advantage of other information that we have available. So uh, in this case, the uh, the SASE tool 
is called is called Global Connect. And uh, and when I connect through that, it takes a look at my end my device, the data that's captured by the security tools on my device, and says that device is managed uh, and it's patched ac accurately. And and then it also looks at the identity information that I present as a user, in this case through identity credentialing and access management or ICAM and the 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 public uh, key capabilities that we have to to. Uh, ensure the identity of an individual. And it says, based on that, that endpoint information and based on that user information, I will allow direct access to a capability. So um, things like Office 365 are a good example. Instead of routing that into the joint regional security stacks and then hairpinning out through a boundary cloud access point to that commercial cloud capability, if you're actually teleworking, it directly connects you via commercial routing to the uh, to the uh, the secure commercial cloud capabilities, uh, and so not having to go through that uh, that convoluted routing actually improves the uh, the user experience. Uh, and and so I've had users tell me that they prefer to work from home right now because the the uh, the routing is actually much better uh, for them from home. And we're working on the on-prem side too, so that won't continue to be a a, a thing. But uh, but it is something that uh, we're pretty proud of the fact that that's both better security and better performance. Yeah, that's really interesting that it works better for folks working from home because I've read a lot about how, you know, zero trust can enable a remote workforce basically, which I think we were aware of, you know, coming out of COVID lockdowns, but it's interesting hearing how this solution kind of works better in a remote environment anyway, um, which is kind of, that's just some cool context. So my next question for you is, what are some of the next steps for implementing Thunderdome across fourth estate and military service branches now that you've completed the prototype? Thanks. So um, so you're absolutely right. We're going to more broadly implement the capability across this is terrain. I'll, I'll use the terrain word again. Uh, focusing primarily on enclaves. Uh, so this is now responsible for uh, for providing user enclaves for the fourth estate uh, defense agencies and field activities. Uh, and so what we're doing is moving away from the historical geographic or, or hierarchical approach for cybersecurity and trying to put some of the security capabilities closer to the, the users and some of the capabilities closer to the applications and data and caring a little bit less about what happens in the middle of the network in between them. Uh, and so I'll use the first example is customer edge security stacks. Uh, those are being placed at the site where users are connecting. So, so if I'm here at Fort Meade today, we, we have several customer edge security stacks that will be here for organizations. Instead of those organizations regionally checking into a joint uh, regional security stack site, because that's really not taking us uh, taking us in the right approach from a routing perspective. So, so we secure it closer to the users. Uh, and then that capability also provides some software-defined wide area networking functions, which include micro-segmentation. So meaning we limit a user's ability to move across the network uh, to where they're actually coming from. And so we've done that some of that in the past, but this is this this combines that that uh, uh, software-defined nature of that uh, also provides the uh, the automation of network management functions. So again, 
we get better user experience as we do that. Uh, and then the, uh, the next piece of this is uh, we need to press application owners and data owners to, to start to make these fine grain access control decisions that depend upon the information I mentioned before. So comply to connect endpoint data, uh, ICAM data, that all needs to come together to, uh, for application and data owners to be able to, uh, to make those kinds of decisions that based on, based on the fact that it looks like your IP address is coming from Russia, probably we don't want to give you access to it or we might limit the kind of access that we would have uh, for, for these kinds of things. So there's, the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do, uh, but until the application owners and the data owners actually adopt those things, we have, we have continued to have work to do. And that's not just for DISA and our terrain, it's also for the entirety of the department. Yeah, I think the data piece is especially interesting when talking about zero trust. And I recently interviewed the Army about zero trust, and they said DISA had to kind of wrangle some processes to get a common view of identity data for the Thunderdome pilot. Can you discuss the data management and data interoperability aspects of Thunderdome and how you're working with the services to ensure seamless interoperability of identity management? Yeah, certainly, and, and, and I would put this under the heading of identity credentialing and access management. So we've had the capabilities to do identity provider functions in the department at the enterprise level, and we're in the process of federating the information that we have about every user with the services who have their own, who in most cases have some of their own implementation. So his, we, we've done this as well. So the Defense Manpower Data Center, the MDC, is responsible for the attributes about every user in the Department of Defense. But the reality is organizations like the Army, through their own separate HR systems, have, in some cases, better attributes about their users, more information available to them than we have at the enterprise level. And so we're working through the ICAM governance process to synchronize that data through DMDC so that we can then feed that back out to everybody so that we can know uh, exactly what, what all there is to know about Brian Herman in this case uh, and, and whether we should grant him access to something. And, and there's, so, so it's not so much wrangling, it's the fact that they had better data in, in that case and they wanted to use some of that data to make decisions and so, so we, we support that and we're always looking to add additional attributes about users at the enterprise level, but where they exist sometimes in the component level, we'll take that too and try to feed that through DMDC to, to have enterprise level information. But synchronization does happen in the background already and we just like more of it, to be honest with you. Gotcha. So can you describe what the Thunderdome conditional remote access pilot with the Army looks like and what it hopes to accomplish post Thunderdome? So I, I always have to say um, Thunderdome and Zero Trust are not a not a one for one replacement of what we've historically done with JRSS, but there's enough connections sure. that we all have to figure it out. So uh, yeah. in this case, the uh, the the conditional access pilot with the Army is leveraging that uh, secure access service edge or SASE capability that I mentioned before so that they can look at how that actually works in ingesting the information about the endpoint and the information about the user to make those conditional access decisions for themselves. And so it's, it's part of their zero trust journey, but it's also part of their post JRSS journey 
uh, and they want to make sure that it meets the functional requirements that they've historically relied on remote access VPNs for. Uh, but it but it goes beyond that in the sense that it it allows them to make much more fine-grained decisions than they've historically made with uh, with remote access VPNs. That's awesome. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the point of zero trust, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So are you guys coordinating with the DOD OCIO Zero Trust Portfolio Management Office to integrate interoperable zero trust solutions with Thunderdome? I guess my question is really like, where does Thunderdome fit in terms of the wider zero trust ecosystem going on at DOD right now? So, um, so the zero trust strategy from the Department of Defense level drives the need for, I want to say, 91 activities to reach a target level of zero trust by 2027. And then there's a total of 150 some odd activities to, to reach advanced stages of zero trust. We've evaluated Thunderdome along with ICAM and endpoint security and other capabilities that we have in place to show that, that for our terrain, we're covering approximately 131 of those 152 activities for the department. So we think it's a very mature set of capabilities. And I say that especially because I think, I think no, we shouldn't look at this as, as zero trust as a, a solution. It's actually a set of things, a suite of tools uh, that, that get us to a better state for cybersecurity in terms of the functions and the terrain that we cover. So, so one of the lessons that we did learn is that the secure access service edge capabilities that are out there uh, and there's several that industry provides, uh, they're not interoperable. And, uh, and we think that's a big problem. So we've worked with industry uh, to try to identify why they ought to look for interoperability among themselves, uh, primarily because it's unlikely that the department will land on one particular tool because the execution of zero trust or, or the implementation of zero trust is actually decentralized. So organizations have their own choice and by Later this fall, we'll all have established our, our full implementation plans to reach a, that target state by 2027. Uh, in many cases, the uh, the services are interested in the tools that we've put in place for Thunderdome, and they may ever may either leverage them outright via our contract or support from DISA, or they may do the same thing uh, with their own mechanisms. And and we're not concerned either way. The capabilities that we have in Thunderdome are being put together. In a, uh, in a production follow-on contract that can be leveraged sort of a la carte so that they can pick and choose the pieces that apply to them and that apply to their terrain based on where they stand now and where they're headed in the future. So, so I think it's a really good lesson that, that we're working as closely as we are with the Army. We're also working very closely with the, uh, the Navy and Air Force. Uh, so we see commonality among the solutions that people are finding in this area. Uh, but we also see that there's some gaps where we need to go forward in the future. So um, I would I would say that the next state, the next activity we need to take on a little bit more strenuously across the department is the data pillar uh, that uh, we haven't done a, a, a significant amount of work to uh, to tag the data and establish what access control rules should be in place for data. We've done more of that for applications. And I, I think that's the next big thing that we need to attack as we go forward. And we work very closely with not just the, uh, the DOD CIO's portfolio zero trust portfolio management office, but also the services and their zero trust leads uh, so that we can, uh, we can establish a good way forward uh, in, in coordination with each other, but not necessarily 
implementing on their behalf. It's just a, uh, it's a loose coupling of activities to make sure we all get to the right place. Sure. So would you say that zero trust is kind of a way to build upon and iterate current cybersecurity solutions that you guys already have, except in a more responsive and agile way? So I would say that it, um, maybe I'd say it a little bit differently is not everything that we've historically done has a, a place in the zero trust future. Sure. So as we look across the cybersecurity tools that, that my organization in particular is responsible for, we see uh, perimeter activities, we see endpoint activities, we see ICAM capabilities, we see data and analytics. Uh, most of those things need to occur, uh, but they may change over time. So we're doing you know, in-depth portfolio reviews to establish what we should be doing there uh, in each of those portfolios as we go forward. And I'll use, I'll use the perimeter as an example there. The idea with Zero Trust is that you assume the, the, uh, the, the enemy is already inside your networks. And we don't use the fact that they're inside the network as the reason for, for granting them access to, to either data and or, and or applications or other, other infrastructure. Uh, and so, so we don't think the perimeter goes away, but we may not have to care about it quite as much as we do today. So uh, we still lock the front door of our house at night, even if we're feeling safe in the, in the room uh, that we sleep in. Uh, but but we, we don't throw that whole idea out as we go forward. So I, I think some of these things are changing, but they're not going away. Um, and, and that's the part where I think some people forget is that, uh, is that there isn't a, a complete abdication of the need to defend our, our networks. It's just that the networks themselves aren't the reason why we're defending. We're defending so that we can keep them away, uh, keep the, the adversary away from the, the, the crown jewels, if you will, of data and applications. Yeah. So this was an almost $7 million prototype. How does the cost of this prototype compare to the cost of other like cybersecurity technologies or solutions in the long run? What kind of cost do you project will be associated with zero trust as an approach to cybersecurity? And I guess what I'm really asking is like, do you expect this to save you money in the long run? I, I do think that, that uh, the end state, well, probably end state's a misnomer as well, but, uh, but I, I think that the, the, uh, the bundle or suite of capabilities that we're putting in place are both financially beneficial and uh, operationally beneficial. So like I mentioned before about the ability to push uh, cyber tasking automatically across the department, that's never existed before. Uh, mm -hmm. We're getting rid of, of uh, approximately 15 joint regional security stacks around the department and organizations are gonna have probably a larger quantity of those customer edge security stacks, but they're much smaller, easier, easier to manage devices uh, and, and things that can be managed locally as well. So I, I think, I think uh, from both a financial and an operational perspective, this is, this is good news. We're not all, as I mentioned, landing on necessarily the exact same capabilities, but as we put our capabilities together, we're building the ability for the rest of the department to leverage them should, should they choose. Uh, and so we're negotiating department, department level licensing costs. Uh, so I can take advantage of the fact that the Army's potentially gonna use the same solution uh, and, and, and likewise uh, the other services as well. So, so when, we come, when we come at industry, 
jointly at the department level, we actually get better buying power. And, and so I think we're going to have good news in that space. That's awesome. Well, I don't have any more questions for you at the moment. Was there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap up today? I guess the one thing that I would add is we're doing a little bit of rebranding of uh, of our cybersecurity capabilities, and so we're using uh, Thunderdome to be to be considered the umbrella of all of our zero trust activities. So anything that we've had historically in other portfolios, even perhaps, uh, we're we're trying to to set that future state for what that looks like, uh, and and casting that as part of the zero trust umbrella. So the prototype activities that we've done uh, are successful. Uh, from the, that perspective, and now we're more broadly implementing those. Uh, the next thing, as I mentioned, you know, we're going to to improve uh, the data pillar that we know needs to be done. Uh, we're going to press to have application and data owners actually use this this information about endpoints and and users to make those fine grain access control decisions. And we're just going to look for the next the next significant gap with either technical gap or uh, or terrain based gap to make sure that we cover uh, the, the threat as it emerged. But, but I don't think, I think zero trust is a concept. It is not a, an end state and, uh, and we're moving forward at, with a threat-based look at, uh, at what, uh, what needs to be done next to improve our cybersecurity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Herman. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. That was a terrific interview. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last takeaways or highlights you want to leave them with? I think it was cool that he used Zero Trust to connect to our interview. I thought that was a fun little anecdote. Like, oh, this is cool. We're seeing Zero Trust in action. Zero Trust is what made this interview possible. So you're welcome. So that was cool. But then it was also really interesting to hear you know, his perspective on what the Army is trying to do with Zero Trust, because the Army has a lot of initiatives around Zero Trust right now, and they are doing a follow-up pilot with the Army right now, DISA is. And it was interesting talking to the Army a couple of months ago and kind of getting their perspective on Zero Trust and also Thunderdome and like where they see gaps and where they need to focus their time and attention and then going back and talking to DISA about that a little bit more and hearing their perspective on how they can ensure seamless interoperability of identity management, which is, you know, a, a core pillar of zero trust across the armed services and the fourth estate. So it was also nice to get the additional context of the fact that Thunderdome is the umbrella for all zero trust activities at DOD right now. So that kind of gives you an idea of how important Thunderdome is for cybersecurity across the defense department and defense industrial base. But then it also gave me some ideas for what to pursue for my next podcast interview, which is, you know, securing data and applications is the next big thing. It's the next step. So get ready for more editorial content on application security. What a great note to end on and a great reminder to subscribe to Cybercast wherever you listen to make sure that you don't miss a single thing 
in this world of cybersecurity. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new Cybercast. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.